Hello there, my name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Following on from a full traditional interview with Dr Malcolm Greenhalge, still on the windy banks of the River Hodder in Lancashire, we're now going to take a look at some of the characters that game angling regularly seems to throw up. I have been very lucky in that I have known or been friends with some of the greatest eccentrics in the fishing world. Let me give you one or two examples. The prime one must be Hugh Falkus. Hugh Falkus became extremely well known living in the Lake District doing television programmes in a series for BBC Two called The World About a Series. To fishermen, his Salmo the Leaper and his film Self-Portrait of a Happy Man were major factors in encouraging people to go sea trout fishing and salmon fishing because you saw a man fishing in a natural history programme and catching salmon and sea trout. He had this great aura and this aura was built on the fact that he had been a pilot. He'd been a Spitfire pilot and he let us all believe that he'd been shot down in a mega battle in the Battle of Britain when he'd shot down a Heitel and a few Messerschmitts and one or two other Kraut planes and then unfortunately he just finished shooting another one down when he got clipped in the wing by a stray shot and finished off shot down. It's only after he died and this great biography was produced of him, which I give him a hand with, that we discovered that that was a load of baloney. In fact, he was shot down without firing a shot himself before the Battle of Britain and he finished off in prisoner of war camp right the way through the war. Very sad. But he had this image and he built this image up in a mega way. Just before the war he got married and his wife produced a set of twins whilst he was a prisoner of war. When he came back, he'd had a go at doing all sorts of theatrical stuff uh, and writing theatrical stuff when he was a prisoner of war. And he decided that he was going to go into this writing stage thing. He came back from the war and left his wife with a set of twins and shacked up with a woman called Diana Vaughan. Now, Diana Vaughan was one of the great lady writers in London, mega in the London scene. So he shacked up with her and married her. Next step, he was doing a film. It's a bit of a faction film on catching basking sharks off the west of Ireland. She went along and they produced this film showing him catching basking sharks from little corotals. And then the ship they were in was wrecked. They all drowned except for him, including dear old Diana. He'd only been married to her for a few months. So the film was finished. He gave the proceeds to the next of kin of the people who were drowned besides Diana and went and fled to stay with a friend of his in the Lake District, somebody who'd been a prisoner of war with called Will Fowler. In between times, however, he went back to wife number one and got her pregnant again, produced another set of twins. So he got in with Will Fowler and used to start doing a bit of sea trout fishing up in the Esk Valley in the Lake District. But then, he was still in the London scene, he bumped into the daughter of the Marquis and Marchioness of Londonderry. Married her. She was an alcoholic. He was getting that way. They then chucked him out. So he went back to Will Fowler. Divorced by wife number three. Will Fowler and he had it off with quite a lot of women in the valley. And eventually Hugh's eyes lit up with Cathy Falkus, or Cathy Armstrong as she was maiden name, who was a daughter's wife. 
in the valley. Willie Fowler decided he didn't want Falkus living with him because he was married and shacking up with somebody. So, Falkus married Cathy and went to live in Crag Cottage down the road, which everybody in the fishing world knows about Crag Cottage because that's where Falkus lived. Willie Fowler eventually died. The estate was bought by a friend of ours called Bill Arnold and everything seems to be honky-dory. Dear old Falcon is making TV programmes. Great TV programmes. But then BBC retired him off. He's done two major programmes for them, plus he did a programme on sockeye salmon in Canada. And he started teaching casting, salmon casting. And one of his students, he shacked up with her and left Cathy. They then split up and he went back to Cathy. What a life, in his late 60s. Honestly, I just know he did it. And that's when I met him, and I knew him for the last 10 years of his life, and he was a character. Really was a great character. One great problem is he drank copious amounts of bottles of whiskey. I remember going round once to Craig Cottage one Sunday morning. He said, Malcolm, Malcolm, I have no whiskey and I have no whiskey. In those days, it was the licensing hours, and we used to get them from the garage on near Ravenglass. So we went up to the garage near Ravenglass, and he walked and he said, Can I have three bottles of whiskey, please? He said, said, I'm sorry, sir, but we can't serve you because it's licensing hours. We don't open until 12 o'clock. He looked at me and said, what shall I do? What shall I do? I have no whiskey. This is half past ten in the morning, Sunday morning. So I drove him up to Bill's. Bill had a bottle of whiskey and that settled him down. Then we went down to pick that evening's supply up. Went in. I want three bottles of High Commissioner. I want a bottle of brandy and a bottle of port. No, wait a minute. I'll have six bottles of High Commissioner, three bottles of brandy, three bottles of port. That'll do. So he paid for those. I dropped off at Crag Cottage. Following morning, we were all going up to the River Derwent salmon fishing. We went round. He'd done a bottle of whiskey, half a bottle of brandy, and half a bottle of port, and was already drunk. We got up to the river. Bill put him in a deck chair by the river, outside his Range Rover, with a glass of scotch. This again is about half past ten in the morning, and we fished. Lunchtime consisted of a bottle of claret, a few scotches. On our way home, we stopped at Egremont in the pub where he tried to grope one of the waitresses in this pub while we were having scampi and chips and a few beers. And then, driving back home, he had another whiskey in the car, got home and finished another bottle of whiskey that night. He had an incredible appetite. God knows how he did it. Other great people. Oh, well. The best, keenest fisherman I think I've ever fished with is Oliver Edwards. Oliver Edwards is a Yorkshireman. We did a lot of work together we did courses, ran courses together, making a few quid out of people on fly tying and this sort of thing. And uh, we fished a lot for salmon and trout together and grailing together. He is probably the keenest. Oliver's left-handed, and as he gets out of his car, which is an old chariot, uh, an old, I call it a Tudor car, it's got one of these things with wood around it, ancient, ancient Austin or whatever. He's already casting as he gets out of the car. And he doesn't stop casting until he gets back in the car. He can do 12 hours solid casting without stopping. Great fly tire, great character, great Oliver Edwards story. Here's one. He and I were doing a course at Bridge of Allen on the, in Scotland, near Stirling. And we, what we used to do was to take a hotel for the weekend. I'd have half the group on Saturday, he'd have half the group on Sunday. And we charged him a huge amount of money for the privilege. Amongst the group on the Saturday was a gentleman called Gerald Hammond, who was a crime novelist. Gerald was getting a bit past it and was a bit of Alzheimer's. He never finished a fly with me. He just couldn't do it. But he enjoyed the day. 
of the Sunday he was with Oliver. As we set off, I drove, as we set off from Bridge of Allen back home, Oliver started about Gerald Hammond. And about two hours later, as we passed through the Loon Valley, he stopped talking about Gerald. Gerald had used the wrong feather to do this, the wrong feather to do that. Oliver was so precise in his tying that anybody who was not pretty good was slagged off mercilessly, and Gerald was. The amusing thing was that in my, one of my flies I used Heron Hurl down in Picric Acid. That upset Gerald. He sent me a copy of a book he'd written where the murder weapon had been Picric Acid. It's a major explosive. I suppose Oliver was pretty good. Perhaps the best all-round trout fisherman, dry fly as well as nymph, because Oliver was primarily a nymph fisherman, wet fly fisherman, was John Goddard. I remember fishing the Dove with John some years ago. And in the morning we were given this quite tricky piece of fishing, the two of us, with lots of bushes and trees and so on. So that the back cast was difficult, the forward cast was difficult, and at the end of the morning when we met up with the others for lunch, the score had been something like three trout to John, two to me, five trees to me, four trees to John. In the afternoon we were given a nice easy bit with plenty of room around. A trout rose, I knelt down, cast to it, it took the fly. As I'm playing it out, John came up and said to me, Malcolm, this is a bit too easy. Let's go back to where we were this morning. Now that's class. I got a telephone call. This is Fiona Armstrong. People say I should talk to you about salmon fishing. So I said, yeah, more than welcome. She said, I'm writing a book about salmon fishing. I said, are you? She said, yes. I'd never heard of her. I said, oh. She said, I could do with talking to you. I said, well, do you want me, you know, where do you live? Where do you work? She said, well, I work in London. I said, that case, there's no problem. Tell you what I'll do. I'm down in London next week at the publishers. How's about meeting for lunch? Oh, she said, I'm reading the news on ITN at six o'clock. I said, pardon? She said, I'm reading the news on ITN at six o'clock. I said, I listen to BBC. So, uh, we went down to London and we met in the Reform Club, which it was quite good. I enjoyed going to the Reform Club, where Phineas Fogg went round the world in 80 days, no less. The food was excellent. The wine was very good. The only problem is, I had to get back to the train, the railway station in Houston, to get the train north. And the last train went at 20 to 10. No problem, said Fiona. The ITN newsreader's car picked us up outside the Reform Club and drove me right onto the platform where the first last carriage of my train back to Lancashire was. It was a wonderful experience. And we fished together a bit. We did some telly stuff for Bory Television. And uh, great character, Fiona. Great angler. One of the nicest guys I ever met, in fact two of them, were both called Fred. Fred Buller and Fred J. Taylor. Fred Buller was a great pike expert and a very, very good salmon fisherman, but also a great angling historian. Go down to his cottage in Buckinghamshire, and it's rather like being in an Aladdin's cave of angling history. He's got copies, for example, of medieval wall paintings showing people fishing. He's got examples of the first reel. I mean, anything you want to know about the history of angling, Fred Buller is the expert. In contrast, Fred J. Taylor was an absolute fabulous character. I remember I, he was old when I got to know him, and I said to him, you know, how much fishing do you do now? Well, he said, um, I don't worry, he says, about these big bags of bream and tench anymore, he said. All I do, he says, I nip down to the stream, get a trout to a 
or a little little perch, weighs say half a pound, and take it back and cook it for my lunch. Because Fred was not only a great angler, but a trained chef, great cook. Every year, a couple of times, Fred would go up to Essendale, to Falkers's. Fred Buller would be there, other notables might be there, and Fred would cook us the most enormous barbecue food gluttony session imaginable. He would do his game stew. He would do game parcels. Some of the parcels would have mallard breast in, some of them would have partridge breast, some would have grouse breast and so on. There would be possibly a leg of venison roasted. The bread he would make himself over the fire. Everything was cooked outside, nothing inside. And wine, vast quantities of it. And there was always a place you could doss down. So you took a sleeping bag and you felt tired. Well, you might do sleep down in the caravan. It was nice outside under the stars, otherwise in the kitchen of Falkers, it didn't matter. Then he got up, woke up, and went back, and there'd be more food and wine and food and wine and wine and food. And we finished off a bit bilious at the end of it, but never mind, it was great fun. And that was Fred Taylor. Great, great man. Last time I saw Fred was at a game fair, one of the last last reasonable game fairs I went to, for Lenin Palace. And uh, we were driving in, because we were videoing it. Fred, Pal and I were doing the official video of the game fair. We drove in, as we were driving in, it was a long walk in, there's Fred. So he stopped and he was panting and we gave him a lift up to the Shooting Times tent. Eh, Malcolm, he said, I can't walk like I used to now, I can't walk like I used to now. Great character, Fred Taylor. Gone. And of course the other great characters from that were Dick Walker. I never met Dick Walker, never communicated with him. The other one was Arthur Oglesby. Arthur was a friend of Falkus's. They fell out a little bit mainly because Falkers, in a way, poached some casting school, I think, up in the Spey Valley. But Arthur was a, a great, great, great name in the salmon fishing world, great angler. But a little funny story about that. When Falkers died, I did, I've done one or two programmes on Radio 5 Live about uh, people who died, obituary programmes. And I got a telephone call saying, uh, BBC Manchester Hour, would it be possible if you'd come in and... Uh, and do a, a little bit on Arthur Ruggles, who's just died. So I said, yeah, of course I will. In Manchester, yes. I said, well, how about the day after tomorrow? Now, I see I'd booked a table in the library in Manchester for the day after tomorrow. I would be leaving there at four o'clock to get the quarter past four train back home. So really, see, what I thought was, if I leave at half past three, I could do the programme first. So I left the Central Ref Library at half past three, got into BBC Manchester, headphones on, I did my little bitty bit of dear Arthur Oglesby. Got the 4.50 train. I was in the pub at home for five o'clock. And the program came out. And I got paid for doing the programme. And for doing and a nice repeat fee. 300 odd quid for a quarter of an hour's work. Not bad. Old Falkers had died. But Cathy Falkers, Hugh's widow, said to me. Hugh would be tittle pink to think that you made 300 odd pounds out of Arthur Oglesby dying. Great characters. We aren't making characters like that anymore. We're not. There aren't any. It's sad. Who's the characters in the fishing world today? They ain't been on, folks. They're dying. Another character that several has met was a guy called Ron Greer. Ron Greer was a bachelor, Scot, ardent Scot, wanted Scots to be independent. I agree they should be, so should English people. And he was the chairman of the Farox group. Now, Farox trout are these big trout that live in lakes. And his obsession was Farox trout that feed on Arctic char. And all he spent days and days and days rowing around these great lakes in Scotland with, with pals, with these 
things sticking out of the back, spinning, big plugs, and also dead bait char trying to catch ferox trout. His cuisine, if you stayed with him, was dreadful. He hadn't a clue how to, how to cook anything, and yet he insisted on cooking food for you. Oh, great character. I mean, he's just mad. And his old appearance was one of eccentricity. He had this musk ox helmet that he wore over his bright red toupee. I mean, it was just incredible. And he's just a great, wonderful character. They're just not making characters like that anymore. You know, he was just phenomenal, man. Another one. Paul Young, the actor. Do you remember Paul Young, the actor? He did a series called Hooked in Scotland. Several series called Hooked in Scotland. We did one with Ron Greer and the Ferox crew. And we stayed at this pub by Loch Marie. And what amazed me was all the Scots lads went to bed early, about nine o'clock, because they were tired, whilst the bar was still open. Then they closed the bar and Paul Young said to me, Malcolm, they've closed the bar. I've got a bottle of scotch upstairs, so we rented a few scotches. But Paul was a lovely, lovely, lovely character. Great character, great television programmes. We're not making them like that anymore. Another one was Dero Regrigini. Great name. He did several books on trout, one on grayling. Great book on grayling. Now, you see, Reg was a wine importer, lived in the Loon Valley. And uh, one of the funniest stories about him was he drove a Bristol car around. And it links with Hugh Falkus and Arthur Oglesby. Arthur and Hugh were sharing a rod on their beat of the River Loon that Reg looked after. Arthur had been abroad and had a litre bottle of duty-free whisky. So they had a cast. One of them had a cast, a glass of scotch with a sea trout, got a sea trout, a glass of scotch. The other one had a cast, got a sea trout, a glass of scotch. The other one had a cast got a sea trout, glass of scotch and it went on up till midnight when there was a big hole in this bottle of scotch and there were about 17 sea trout on the bank everyone caught with one cast these car headlights appear in the field it's Reg, he comes down to the waterside next to these two drunken anglers winds his window down and looks and says, oh you've knocked them too badly what do you get them on? well said Arthur, sunk line and Hughes three inch tandem lure you'd have caught far more on a small yellow fly, said Reg. Don't be... I'll press here, because it was Hugh Falkers. No, you must be joking, said Hugh. You can only catch one sea trout in a cask. Now, I thought that was made up by Hugh. But I heard Grace Ogilby confirm it. And Mr Crabtree, Bernard Venables, also told me that Arthur told him that story. So it was right. One sea trout in a cask. That's how many sea trout there were in the loon in the 60s. Another Reg one. This came from the garage. My parents retired to Kirby Lonsdale and they heard this from the garage man. Reg was driving a big Bristol, which did about 12 miles to the gallon. He decided it was getting a bit expensive. So he changed it for a, a, the flashy Mini, just a straight Mini. He drove the Mini for about a week, took it back to the garage and said the petrol gauge wasn't working. So they put a new one in. About a week later they took it back and sa he said the petrol gauge wasn't working. He was doing about 15 miles a week and expected the petrol gauge to, talk, to show it and there was nothing wrong with the petrol gauge it's just that he wasn't used to a car doing 50 miles to the gallon true is that true honestly folks that's true give us some more on mr crabtree mr crabtree i met him twice and he was a lovely 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 man the best thing was i got invited to his memorial down in wiltshire 
where we're all provided with a special edition of some writings that have never been published of his, which I, I've got two copies of, because some left, some's left one on a seat, and I, I took two, I've got two copies. If you want to buy one, it's about £1,000. And we heard all about him, and Mr Crabtree, and how Mr Crabtree came to be. Apparently, Mr Crabtree, the cartoon strip, Daily Express, after the war, the editor of the Daily Express decided that they've got to have a little bit of telling people about science. And so there was a science strip done, telling about computers and things that were going to be made in years to come. And Bernard Venables did the cartoon. And then they ran out of ideas, so they were going to do a gardening one. So there's a gardening one through one summer, say about 1947. When it got to winter, there was nothing to do. So Bernard Venables said, well, let's do a fishing one. And the only other one involved with that was... Um, Jack Hargreaves. Now Jack Hargreaves was meant to write the words and Bernard to do the cartoon but Jack Hargreaves was constantly skiving off so all the cartoon, the words and the pictures were done by Bernard Venables, Mr Crabtree. A uh, lovely man and he stole one of my flies. Can I have this fly Malcolm? And he said and I said no so he took it. Shows you how crappy my flies are they'll even steal them. Get out of it. I still have a collection of your fishing flies which you tied up for photographic purposes, so I know that isn't true. Anyway, back to the job at hand. A very big thank you for that enlightening insight into the real characters behind some of the big names. <laughs> 